Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you are always meant to be on. I'm really excited about the guest today. His name is Jacob Ayers. He's a young professional, real estate investor, and the host of The Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, a top-rated business podcast. Definitely check that out. Jacob's journey started when he graduated from Oklahoma State University with a degree in fire protection and safety engineering. After college, he moved to Houston, dove into a corporate world of terrible coffee, KPIs, and the monotony of a new nine-to-five life. He accepted his lifestyle because he truly enjoyed the work. He's always had a knack for building things, both physical and intangible, and a passion to help people solve problems. Wanting more control over his life, Jacob set out to learn how to engineer a lifestyle he has always dreamed of. He bought his first rental property at 25 years old and quickly after transitioned into buying small multifamily properties. When Jacob isn't building his real estate empire, he enjoys kayak fishing, training Brazilian jiu-jitsu, traveling with his wife, Caitlin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. We're talking to Jacob Ayers today, and we're going to have a really exciting chat. He's doing some awesome things. Jacob, welcome to the show. Brian, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, excited. We were talking a little bit offline, and I'm excited to dive in. And I really want to start with your story. You know, you have a job now, but you're also doing some stuff on the side. So talk about your background, like how you got to where you are right now, a little bit of history on you, and then we'll dive into some real estate stuff because it's really cool. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll take you kind of back to how as how I grew up and the mindset I was raised with. I was born and raised in Oklahoma, kind of a lower to middle class upbringing. My parents were both entrepreneurs. My dad owned bars and convenience stores growing up, and my mom has a small business of her own. And they taught me the blueprint I was raised with is to go to school, get a good education, get a good job, study something hard in college, and find yourself in the corporate world. To them, that was the path of success because that's not what they did. And so I did that. Went to Oklahoma State, studied engineering, took me down to Houston, Texas after college. And I found myself in the corporate world working a day job as an engineer. Mm-hmm. Great path. I love it. But that was the end of my blueprint. After that, you know, day one on the job, I'm like, okay, well, there's the end of my roadmap. You know, <laughs> my parents didn't have anything else to, uh, you know, give me. So uh, I start looking, you know, to kind of find my own footing in this world. And I've got a little bit of a big boy job now at this point in time in my life. I've got a little bit more money. You know, by that I mean my first paycheck was probably more than in the amount of money I've had combined in my life up to that point. So uh, you know, I'm like, okay, what do I do with this? You know, and how do I manage things? So I got really interested in the world of personal finance, and that took me down the rabbit hole of real estate investing. And from there, I stumbled across my passion. started investing in real estate on the side in 2015, bought a little single family deal and it's led me to where I'm at today. I've been having a lot of fun with it. Still work a W-2 day job, that same job coming up on nine years now. So Brian, I know you were a 25-year W-2 recoverer and you know I hope to follow in your footsteps soon. 
Yeah. Don't go that long. I, I know you won't. You know, what's interesting, I was listening to your story there and your parents own businesses. Yeah. Yet they're telling you to, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just interesting how that kind of happened. So maybe did you get a little bit of the entrepreneurship bug from your parents, like watching them run businesses? Looking back, apparently I did. I just didn't realize it because, you know, they were doing one thing and then saying another, right? And, you know, they're the classic entrepreneurs, you know, times weren't always great. I can remember like going to school in the eighth grade in like an 86 Lincoln because times weren't so great, you know, having my parents drop me off three blocks from school because I didn't want my friends to see our crappy car and stuff like that, you know? So I think from their perspective, they thought, hey, you know, we need to, you know, teach Jacob to go to school, get a good education, have a stable income and a stable lifestyle, unlike what we have. So I think that's what led them to push me down that road. But here I am, you know, looking to get back into the entrepreneur world. Yeah. And you know, hey, look, education super important. School's important. But it also sounds like you were taught some lessons about finances, like what to do with your money. You know, you mentioned you got into real estate. Why did you decide to go there? And then let's talk about that first rental property because I'd love to hear the story about how that went and you know any challenges or fears that you had to overcome, you know, to be successful with that first property. Yeah, sure. Well, I can remember sitting in you know, my desk job, you know, first year of working my career and thinking to myself, okay, you know, how do I manage my finances? Let's think about this retirement thing because that was a foreign concept to me. And I think my mental hiccup, Brian, if I'm being totally honest, was around the concept of retirement. So here I am, you know, setting up my 401k and figuring out how to invest my money and all these things that made zero sense to me. Large cap, small cap, mid cap funds, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know any of this. What does any of this mean? Okay. Well, what will I need to save up when I'm 65 or 67 to retire? And then, okay, let's follow me here, Brian. What's the concept after you reach retirement age? And this was the question I was struggling with at the time. Is the idea to save up enough money that you die before you run out of money or your money runs out before you die? And neither of those have a good answer. So I was like, well, this whole retirement concept doesn't sit well with me. I need to build up some passive income now. So I dabbled around playing in the stock market just with my own personal money and had no idea what I was doing there. Just wasn't really like exciting. It doesn't really click with me. But for whatever reason, I stumbled across uh, real estate investing. It just kind of resonated with me. I'm an engineer, so I've kind of got, you know, a numbers mindset. I like the spreadsheets and I could kind of go out and find actionable knowledge online that was readily available and apply it to myself and my personal life. Mm. And so that's how I got started in the world of real estate investing. And how I did that is I went out and bought a single family house in my home market in Oklahoma, real small town. I tell the story because the numbers are pretty mind-bogglingly low, but I bought this very first rental property. It was a single family house. I purchased it for $25,000. That was a $25,000 house. And people are probably thinking like, well, that's probably in the hood of Detroit or something. No, it was a one bedroom house, admittedly a small A-frame style house, but it was rent ready. You know, It was inhabitable. It was a nice home. So I bought that. I did traditional financing. Looking back, I didn't even know that should be a hurdle because I just didn't know what I didn't know at the time. So I went out and got traditional financing 20% down. I put $5,000 down, some closing costs, let's say all in, I was at 7,500 or 8,000 down out of pocket. And I kind of got this idea through listening to podcasts, just like yours, Brian and others. And I'd studied about, Hey, how do I, you know, buy a rental property and all the finances and how do I analyze it? But then I signed on the dotted line, the ink dried. 
And I thought, okay, now what? Now I've got to find tenants, which was a totally different ballgame I'd never studied before. So I made all kinds of mistakes, just dozens of mistakes. Like right out of the gate, the first thing I did was make mistakes. So I experimented with that property for several years and did several different cool and unique things with it. I did rent it out long-term. I did seller financing, et cetera, et cetera. Learned a lot of things with it, kind of cut my teeth there. Didn't lose the shirt off my back, luckily. And I thought, hey, this thing's pretty cool. I got that first rent check. And that was like my true aha moment. Yeah. I can remember going to like the Walmart, whatever that center is at the front of Walmart to cash some kind of like money order from my renter for whatever reason. That's how I was collecting rent at the time. And I'm thinking, man, this is so cool. I just cashed a rent check for $475. So to give you some perspective on the numbers on that deal, I mentioned I bought it for $25,000, put $5,000 down. My mortgage was, I still remember this number, $141 and some change. It's like, I look at my cell phone bill now. My cell phone bill with me and my wife is larger than that mortgage payment. So, you know, my mentality going into that deal was like, hey, you know, I analyze these numbers and if I can't make this thing work, at least it's not going to financially cripple me. I can still just pay the mortgage out of my own pocket every month. Luckily, I turned around and I was able to rent it for $475. So I was cash flowing in the ballpark of $300 a month, which was really good for that type of property and for my own personal goal at the time. And I just thought, wow, this thing's really cool. I saw the power of real estate investing immediately. And I thought, I want to do this thing again and again. Next time, let's go do it a little bit bigger. So the next deal is a duplex triplex, so on and so on. So that's kind of my story of how I came across real estate investing and actually got started investing in real estate. I love it. And I took some notes down here. I appreciate you sharing that. You mentioned you made mistakes, right? And I think that's what, like the difference between what you did and what a lot of people are afraid to do is like they project on those mistakes. Like this, this, and this is going to happen. No one's going to pay me. I'm going to mess it up. I'm not going to be able to get the loan. Like the sky is falling type of stuff. And then what do we do? We do nothing, right? So I'm just going to assume that some of those scenarios went through your mind. But how did you get past that knowing that this may not go the way that you had crafted it out? Yeah. You know, I think that's a natural tendency for people to want to have everything figured out before they get started. And I'm right there with you on that. You know, I'd love to know what the next step and the next step and the next step is going to be, but in all reality, life doesn't work like that. And so for me, what I did is I kind of based things off worst case scenario. And then I said, okay, what's worst case scenario? Will I survive? Will I manage this deal? So like I said, I went into it with a very small kind of investment, if you will. All the numbers were very small. My mortgage was very small. My risk was very small. And so I just thought, hey, if this still doesn't work out, my mortgage is 141 bucks. I'll still be able to put food on the table tomorrow for myself at you know 23-year-old college kid or recent college kid, right? So I didn't need much. So I think the concept I kind of mentally went in with was, what's my worst case scenario? And will I be able to overcome that? And then just knowing, like, I think I had a little bit going for me at the time because I was just so naive. I didn't even know what my future problems could be. So, you know, like, what do they say? Like, ignorance is bliss kind of thing. So it's probably a little bit of that. You know, now, obviously, I'm aware of all these different problems and, you know, the problems have grown today and I just learned to manage them. And I still fight that like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do X, Y, or Z or Hmm. steps one, two, three, 10, so on. But you have to just kind of take that first step and figure out things as you go. It's a hard battle to kind of overcome mentally. I think we all struggle with it. 
hundred percent. And you just touched upon something that is also important for the listeners to understand is that the challenges never go away. Right. It's just how you deal with them. Like you just said, like I have new challenges now. Some of them are bigger. So I'm sure you've had some bigger challenges in the worry or the fear of having to make a $141 mortgage payment, <laughs> which I mean, that's a super deal for everyone. Listen, if you can cash flow $300 a month, I mean, that math works, you know, 30, yeah. what is that? I don't know what that is a year. Uh, $3,600 uh, 3, a year. And, so. and you put down 7,500. So I yeah. mean, you're getting your money back in two years and then some. So great first deal. It sounds like it worked out for you. And, you know, there's even in this market, you know, this hot market, you can still find opportunities like that. Yeah, definitely. All day long, all day long in that price range too. So you just have to get resourceful. How did you find that deal? Yeah, it was an off-market deal in my home market. I grew up in the area and I just knew of the property. And mm. so, yeah, I was just kind of word of mouth, small community, that type of thing. One point I want to make about that deal is, you know, that deal obviously didn't move the needle very much for me. It wasn't like $300 a month it was changing my lifestyle. Mentally, it was really cool. But, you know, in all reality, it really wasn't doing anything for me. And I think I see a lot of people trying to make a home run out of their very first deal. And that deal obviously really wasn't like a financial home run, you know, per yeah. se. It worked out okay, but it wasn't like, you know, some stellar changed my trajectory of my life type thing. Although it really did, but not, you know, with the monetary value, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, the audience members listening, just realize like your first deal doesn't have to be the home run. It's just a base hit, get the ball started. And, you know, from there, I snowballed to the next deal and the next deal. And that's where it really became impactful. Yeah. Get in the game is what you're yeah, saying. Exactly. You know, get in the game and that'll create some momentum. It's created some momentum for you. So maybe talk about, give us another deal that you love, or maybe a recent one that was, you know, larger that, you know, had some challenges, maybe some mental blocks and, okay. you know, give us some context on that. As you know, Brian, every deal comes with its own like kind of war stories, but a recent deal that I did that I thought was really cool and just felt very satisfying once I got it wrapped up and I'll try to make it succinct, but long story short, I found an off-market eight-unit property in a market that I had several other properties and I just knew about this property just from driving by it and one day is, you know, terrible condition, awful condition. Like you probably wouldn't want to pull up in the parking lot. And so for whatever reason, I'm like, hey, I want to buy that place and fix it up. So I reach out to the property owners. I looked them up through public records. I reach out to the guy, say, hey, you know, my name's Jacob. I own properties in the area. I'm interested in buying your place. He says, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm interested in selling. This guy's a home builder. He's not a landlord. He's not a real estate investor. All of his properties are in different areas now. He just doesn't have the capacity to manage it, which obviously showed in the property is like half vacant, half dilapidated. And so I strike up a negotiation with some terms called seller financing. And if your audience members aren't familiar with that, essentially, instead of me going and getting a loan from a bank or a lender, the owner carries the note. So he says, instead of you you having to pay me the purchase price up front, you'll pay me a mortgage payment every month. And so I negotiated that $0 down. I purchased the eight unit for $160,000, which is $20,000 a door. Technically, when I purchased it, it was a seven unit. I converted it to an eight unit. I think there was three tenants there. One of the apartments was just totally vandalized, no front door, stray animals living in it. The other uh-huh. units were pretty terrible condition. And you might be thinking like, okay, that sounds like a terrible idea, which 
fair enough, but there's a few risk mitigating measures I took in place. Obviously, I got seller financing with $0 down. So I had none of my own money in the deal. I took title in an LLC. So, you know, I wasn't personally liable for anything, things like that. And so, oddly enough, it cash flowed from day one. So I went in, I renovated it with money out of my pocket. I put $55,000 into the deal. I got it turned around, stabilized, renovated every single unit, put all new tenants in there, turned the whole deal around. And now that property's in the ballpark of $650,000. I just refinanced it, pulled out a couple hundred thousand dollars. That whole process took me about 18 months. And so I went from not having an eight unit. And at the end of that, I had an eight unit, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And yeah, that thing is cash flowing approximately like $2,400 a month right now. So really cool deal. It just shows like, you know, there are deals out there. You can just go hustle, find them, use creative financing strategies. If you don't have any money, don't let that stop you. If there's no deals on the market, don't let that stop you. If, you know, there's any of these other roadblocks or fears, you know, just find ways to protect your downside and take action. I mean, you know, I probably won't find another deal like that for a few more months, but, you know, I'm constantly looking. So, yeah, that would be okay if you didn't. I mean, that's a super deal, a super deal. So you're driving around, you're driving around, you drive for dollars, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You find a property and then, okay, step number one, I'm driving around, I'm looking for something. Okay, I found that. Step number two, I'm going to look up the tax records and find exactly. the seller. And I assume you called the seller? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got the number, you called him. He appreciated <laughs> you calling him. And this is what people don't do. They don't do. They're looking on the MLS or like there's it's a hot market. There's no deals. Like, no, there are deals. Like there are people who don't want to own their buildings. They don't want to be in the landlord business. They want out of their house. They're just not marketing that on the MLS because no one's going to buy that house, right? Or buy that property potentially. So I love the fact that you put zero down. Did you have to pay them interest? Yeah, I paid it was a 15-year note. I think the interest rate from memory was. 4.75%. I did this at the beginning of 2020, which for all of us that are listening to this know what was going on at that time, yeah. beginning of COVID. So that was another risk factor. I'm like, what am I doing here? COVID's hitting, things are shutting down, tenants aren't paying rent. So yeah, that was another kind of big risk. But you know, I just knew like, hey, I'm going to take title in an LLC. I'm not going to be personally liable for anything. I'm putting zero down. The only money I'm really risking is the out-of-pocket rehab money. And I was just doing that a little bit at a time, fixing up one unit, renting it, fixing up another, renting it. So I was collecting my money back fairly quickly. But yeah, I would say that you know, looking at that property too, from the beginning, it looked like a property you wouldn't want to touch. You wouldn't want to, like I said, pull in the parking lot there. Mm. And you have to realize, like, you know, sometimes there's opportunities hidden. There's diamonds in the rough. They don't look like a good deal. You know, you drive by, you're like, no, I'm not messing with that thing. But if you can just have the vision to know what that thing could be, and you'll find deals that people will skip over because of that reason alone. That's a tough thing for me because, you know, I'm looking at properties all the time and I want to see something nice and shiny and pretty, but I know that's not where the value lies. You got to find that kind of ugly, hairy property that needs a little love. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where the money's going to be made. And based on the numbers you just mentioned, you pulled, you did, now you refied and then paid off the note to the seller when you did that. So the yes, seller's exactly. out, got it, or the note's cleared and now you're stabilized. Now, do you have a management company to manage these properties? I self-manage. So these are all in Oklahoma and my kind of boots on the ground property manager slash partner in this deal is my dad. So, you know, he helps me manage him and I just kind of do a pseudo remote management. And throughout the years, you know, my systems and processes have gotten better from that very first A-frame single family property we talked 
talked about where there was no application process. There was no approval process. It was, Hey, you reached out to me on Facebook messenger and you want to rent this property by all means, you've got a heartbeat, you're moving in. And now obviously I have systems and processes and screening measures and online rent payment tools and things like that. So it's gotten a lot easier to manage remotely and far from perfect, but a lot better than when I started out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And this was going to lead me to one of the other questions too, is you know, what's your investing strategy? Obviously, you have ties to Oklahoma and you're comfortable there and you have boots on the ground, but how are you finding deals now and where do you want them or do you operate in multiple locations? Yeah, you know, I've got several different submarkets in Oklahoma, but that tends to be the majority of where I look at. I've got a couple properties in Texas just because that's where I'm physically currently at. Mm-hmm. But you know what I like about those markets is they're strong cash flowing markets. They're fairly stable. They do have population growth and job growth, but they're not the Austins, the Nashvilles, the San Francisco's of the world where there's a crazy amount of appreciation, but with that comes a lot of competition. And in some level of risk, you know, you're paying a premium for those types of properties. So I like those kind of tier three, tier two, depending on how you want to classify them markets for those reasons. And that's kind of where I'm focusing at today. I'm a cash flow investor. I buy and hold small multifamily properties. So that's kind of my bread and butter. And that's what I've done today. I've only ever sold one property. And that's that very first single family property we've talked about, which hurt me to let it go. But, you know, I needed to, you know, let that property move on. Yeah. And did you, I'd be curious to know what you sold it for. The first yeah. Time. I actually sold it for a loss and well, I sold it for less than I bought it for. And that obviously sounds bad. And it is now I told you I did all kinds of unique things with that. One of the mistakes I made was I sold it on seller financing because once I realized, Hey, I was able to buy this property with conventional financing, 20% down. I don't know how I managed to get that done. Just ignorance is bliss, naivety, whatever you want to call it. But the future buyers were saying, Hey, you know, we can't get loans on this property. It's too small, blah, blah, blah. You know, the reason behind that for your audience members is, you know, a lender has to make money on the loan, right? But there's lending laws that their fees can't exceed so much of the loan, right? So, you know, if they needed to charge $3,000 for the loan, well, they couldn't do that on a $10,000 loan. That would be 30% fees, right? So they couldn't do that. And that's why, you know, that getting loans on properties that small in conventional manners is difficult. So I decided to carry the note, be the seller financing the property on a lease option term. So this person leased the property from me for a certain amount of time. I think it was three years with Mm -hmm. the option to purchase the property. I think the number was like 36,000 at the end of that lease term. So one of the biggest mistakes in my real estate investing career is I trusted that that person was going to take care of the property. They leased it from me. They were never late on the rental payments. And at the end of their lease term, like last day, they led me to believe they're going to buy it. Everything was good. Last day, the lease said, Hey, something happened. We're not going to buy it. It's yours now. So I'm like, Oh, heck. Well, I haven't visited this property, but maybe once or twice or a few times over the course of this lease term, thinking this person is treating it as their home. They're going to buy it. It's essentially theirs. Big mistake. This person was not treating it as their home, was not treating it as I was, was not keeping it up maintained. It was in terrible condition. Like, practically inhabitable. So I had to go in, renovate it. And I ended up cutting my losses and selling it for a loss, like a few thousand dollar loss to get rid of it. But over the course of the property, I definitely made money on it, you know, through, you know, lease option fees and the rent and all the different creative things I did with it over the course of, Mm -hmm. I think I probably held that for four years or so. So 
Yeah, that'll <laughs> happen. You know, with again, I'm just the lesson there probably is you have a system in place now if you ever to do that. Again, it's a check on the property, right? Yeah, yeah, step just, one. <laughs> just make sure. So, because I do that a lot too in my business, I do all seller financing, mm-hmm. I do a lot of lease options. And, you know, you just have to make sure that you have your eyeballs on the property because, yeah, that can and will happen, especially if they don't buy the house, right? Yeah. <laughs> so are you still using seller financing in a lot of your acquisitions with the small, medium, multifamilies? It's my favorite tool in my tool belt. It doesn't always work for every property I come across, but I'll definitely give it a shot if I think that the property or the owner is receptive to that strategy. Now, what I mean by that is sometimes, you know, if the owner has an existing mortgage on the property, maybe sometimes seller financing isn't the easiest way to transact. Maybe you do a master lease option or something like that, still a creative strategy. But yeah, I treat it as like, you know, probably my first and favorite tool in my tool belt and trying to buy a property. I've done conventional financing, I've done creative financing through seller financing, et cetera buying and selling properties. My favorite is obviously buying them through seller financing. But yeah, I definitely love that strategy. It's created me a lot of equity and got me into properties that I probably couldn't have on my own. I've done things like taking out a home equity line of credit on my investment property and using those to buy other properties or using that to renovate other properties, refinance that property, pay my HELOC back off, things like that. So just trying to constantly be creative. And uh, you know, I think if you've just got a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? But if you've got all kinds of different tools in your tool belt, well, then you know, maybe that screw, you actually can reach in and find a screwdriver and you know, whatever, make that yeah. metaphor work. <laughs> I love the HELOC reference. I mean, that's an example of good debt, right? And that's cheap debt too, because it's a simple interest loan. Yes. And you know, it's not compound interest like your 30-year mortgage on your house. So you borrow five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars, the interest on that is small. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's a yeah. very favorable interest rate, I think, because it's secured and collateralized by the real estate behind it. So it was a new concept to me until a couple of years ago. And I got a HELOC on one of my small investment properties. I still have that today and I'll draw against every now and then to renovate a new property, pay it back, you know, things like that. So it's just a good tool to have in your tool belt and allows you, you know, access to capital. Yeah. Great nugget. Thanks for sharing that. So, you know, what are you working on right now? You got any big deals that you're working on currently? Yeah. You know, I'm trying to scale up and grow doing larger multifamily deals. So right now I'm focusing on 20 to 60 unit apartment deals in Oklahoma City and Tulsa submarkets, looking at, you know, making a legitimate business out of what I've been doing over the past five years and getting to the point where now I'm raising capital from friends and family and investors. And I've had a lot of success doing what I've been doing on my own. And I want to share the wealth and bring other people on the journey with me. There's a lot of busy professionals out there that, you know, don't have the time or energy or resources, or maybe have the fear of getting started on their own who want to get started investing in real estate, but don't want to go at it alone. And so, you know, there's an opportunity there to help people out. And that's what I'm looking at doing next. There's a lot of folks out there who want to do that and maybe don't know how. And let me just say for everyone listening that engineers make great investors. I'm telling you, especially in in multifamily. I mean, they get all the math and the spreadsheets, very meticulous. It's always astounding. It's like, man, these guys put a lot of time into these spreadsheets and the numbers. So you know the numbers, right? And you're doing these stress tests. And like you said, worst case scenario, what is it that 
I can live with. And that's really important because you know, you're really investing in the person, not necessarily the asset. Would you agree with that? That's definitely true. You know, you kind of draw a metaphor with horse racing. You know, what are you betting on the horse or the jockey? And oftentimes it's the jockey. Yeah, absolutely. And even though the horse is the one running, you know, the person guiding the horse definitely matters a hundred percent. So, and you know, there's a couple different ways that you can invest. I'll have you elaborate as well. You know, a lot of people have retirement accounts. Yeah. Old retirement accounts that you can invest in alternative assets. This is one of them. It's a great way. You were talking about 401ks or your retirement account when you first started (laughs) your job and you didn't really know small cap, mid cap. I don't understand any of that stuff too. Fortunately, my father was in the financial world for 40 years and he could tell me like, yeah, do this, this, and this. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known what to do. I would have just picked like the one that they direct you to. Like, if yeah. you want to retire at this age in 30 years, like pick this one. And real estate, I understand. So when I left that job, like I have a self-directed retirement account, which is a great way to take control of your money because it's your money. It's not Wall Street's money. So take control yeah. of your money. And then you can invest it, you know, as long as it's not, you know, they have certain things you can't invest in, right? Right. And there's a lot that you can invest in. And I would encourage everyone to look at that, You know, look at the alternative assets. Real estate is one of them. You can do syndication deals. I've personally done them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, self-directed IRAs are a really powerful investment vehicle. And then Mm -hmm. coupling it with the asset class of real estate investing, You know, so many people have phenomenal success and returns doing that. And you know, like you said, it's all about control, right? Are you going to hand your money over to Wall Street and let somebody who you think and perceive is smarter than you handle your money? Are you going to take control of your own financial future? And that's kind of where I found myself. And that's really what it boiled down for me, Brian. I love that you brought that up as control. I just want control over my own future and my financial success. And whether that's for the better or worse, we'll figure it out. But I just wanted to have that control. And I think that's what a lot of people out there want. And you have access to do that through these retirement vehicles like a self-directed IRA or a you know 401k. There's a way to access capital from a 401k, or you can just do it the old-fashioned way and save up, you know, post-tax from your paychecks and invest that way. You know, so there's so many ways to do it. But I think the the moral of the story is, you know, just be intentional about what it is you want because I truly believe that. You can have anything in this life you want, Brian, but you can't have everything. And all it starts with is you have to decide what that is, take small steps to get there and consistent action. And you can find yourself with anything you want. Not everything, just anything. (laughs) That's great advice. Don't try to chop the whole tree down day one. Just, you know, take small steps, have a goal too. You have to know what you want, right? I know that you have goals and where you want to go and you've got it written out and you know, you know the action steps that you're taking. There journal it is. Right he's, <laughs> he's holding up his journal. If you don't have a journal, you're probably not going anywhere. I mean, journaling and scripting has been a major, major needle mover in my life. And one of the reasons I was able to leave my job was because I started writing stuff down, which I never did before. Definitely. We yeah. could do a whole episode on goal setting. I'm a giant goal setting junkie, but yeah, just a true believer that, you know, the power of goal setting is just so, so important. You know, you can go anywhere in life, you can do anything you want, but if you don't have goals and a vision to get there, then you're just going to kind of flounder throughout life. And I just think being intentional about your life, taking control of what you want and, you know, pursuing every day, you know, your vision. 
you can have compound success over time and you'll look back one day and think, wow, I'm really glad I did that back 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago because look where I'm at now. I love that. So what do you think is, because a lot of us have goals, right? They're floating around in our head. Like I want to do this. I want this, this, and this, but we're not writing them down. So what do you think is the main, and the people who write them down, I mean, this is proven. The people who write them down have much more likelihood of achieving those goals. Why do you think, what's the difference between dreaming it up and thinking it up versus writing it down? Well, Okay. I think a big difference is a goal without any action is just a wish. You know, if you say, Hey, one day I want to have a six pack, but then you, yeah, that's six pack apps. Let's use that as a reference. I'm glad you aren't talking about beer. (laughs) No, it's easy to get, just drive down the road and, you know, pick one up, but six pack apps, let's say, or whatever your goal is, but you know, then tomorrow you don't do anything different. You don't change your actions. And the next day you don't do anything different and change your actions. And, you know, next year rolls around and new year's resolution. You say, yeah, I want to get in shape and I want to have six pack abs or whatever. Well, that's not a goal. That's just some pie in the sky wish. Now, if you say, Hey, I want to buy duplex in this zip code in between these price ranges in the next two years. And every day you call a new realtor or you analyze a new deal, or you get on the MLS and you write that goal down. And it's, you've, everybody's heard the term smart, specific, measurable, I'm losing track. Actionable. Now. Actionable realistic time bound. I think that's it. So yeah, those kind of an acronym for goal setting, a framework for goal setting. Now, I don't know what it is, but I agree with you, Brian. I've heard all this science backs up the difference in writing down a goal and just having a goal floating around in your mind. Now I write my goals down. I try to every single day in all reality, probably happens five days a week, maybe six days a week. And, you know, this whole goal setting process, we'll try not to get down a rabbit hole because I love this topic, but I started out, I started out with my goal setting strategy was around Grant Cardone's 10X planner. And if anybody knows real estate world, you probably heard Grant Cardone. And what I do every day is I would write down one day I'll own a billion dollars in real estate because that sounded cool. That's a 10X goal, right? And then the next day, one day I'll own a billion dollars in real estate the next day and the next day. But then every single day, I wouldn't do anything towards getting myself to a billion dollars in real estate. I wasn't buying a duplex, much less a billion dollars in real estate. So I realized, hey, that's just like this pie in the sky kind of thing. And yeah, it's cool to write it down. That's more of kind of like a vision board concept. Like I'm not going to own a billion dollars of real estate if I don't analyze a duplex tomorrow or make an offer on a single family house or try to buy a fourplex or save up some money to invest in a syndication or whatever. So I found myself just kind of spinning my wheels doing that. And from there, I started refining and advancing my goal setting strategy to where I'm at today, which is I used a resource by Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets called the Intention Journal. That's what I showed up over here. Yep. And what this methodology does is it breaks down your goals into 90 days, roughly three months or 13 weeks. So you have kind of four quarters of goal setting. So you think, what's your big picture? Okay, I want to own a billion dollars in real estate. Let's use that for an example. Okay, well, what does that mean in 10 years? Maybe 10 years, I own 5,000 apartments. And in five years, I own 1,000 apartments. And in one year, I've you know owned 50 apartments or whatever. You, you know, back calculates that. So now your annual goal is I'm going to buy a 50-unit apartment complex this year. What's your quarterly goal? Well, I'm going to need to save up 50 grand. I'm going to need to raise $300,000 from investors, whatever those kind of breakdowns are. And then every day, you take action towards that. So what's today's biggest, most important next step is the acronym this journal uses call a realtor, analyze a deal, talk with a lender, whatever it is. So you're doing something every single day and they're just baby steps. They're just little bitty things. Make a call, analyze a deal, log on to whatever, realtor.com. Just 
loop net, whatever. And it's just every day, just a little single step. And it doesn't feel like much, but in 20 years, you'll own a billion dollars in real estate if you do that, as opposed to just writing it down every day and then drinking beer with your buddies. Yeah. Well, you couldn't possibly be more right. I mean, just those, it's stacking those small, teeny tiny wins day after day. And over time, they create, you know, it sounds like I'm going to guess that you want a billion dollars in real estate because you said it a few times. So, <laughs> yeah. And it's all about taking the daily action steps. Daily consistent action is the key. And it just is small. I think that. Like you brought up a great point. You're looking at a billion dollars. It's like, how the heck am I ever going to get there? Like, I'm yeah. I'm so far away from that right now, but you got to build towards it. You have to set realistic goals and that's what you've done. Before I pivot a bit, I just want to make sure, because you were talking about, you know, your syndication opportunities and stuff. Where can people go to look at, you know, connect with you and potentially invest with you? Because I want to give the listeners that opportunity. Yeah, as thanks well. for that. I have a personal website. It's www.jacobayers.com. That's A-Y-E-R-S. From there, you can find my podcast, a little bit about me, social media links, things like that. I love talking about real estate. I love meeting new people. So very reachable. I'm very reachable. That is, you can reach out, connect with me from there. Awesome. Yeah. You got a great show. You've had it for several years. So that's something that everyone should check out as well, because it's all about real estate. And if you love real estate, you know, this is a great channel, a great person to talk to. So let's talk about W2. All right. I want to, I want to <laughs> yeah. talk about your plans, like what your plans are, because I assume you have a goal in mind or an end date in mind somewhere. And I also am going to assume that revolves around either a certain dollar amount or properties, or maybe a combination of the two so that you feel comfortable to, and then tell me what it is that you want from all this. Like, What is the end game for you? Yeah, sure. So as we mentioned, I still work at the same job I hired on out of college. I'm coming up on nine years this next mm-hmm. month in May. So it's been an awesome career. You know, It's not something that I dislike. I'm not one of those people who just are in the daily grind and I have a terrible job and I just hate it and I have to get out of it. But at the end of the day, I realized that I'm trading my time for dollars and there's always going to be a ceiling on that. Engineers make good money, not awesome, fantastic anesthesiologist surgeon money, but they make good money. You could have a comfortable life easily for the rest of your life. Just be an engineer. You'll be okay. You'll make six figures, you know, but I realized that, you know, there's a ceiling, like I mentioned on trading your time for dollars, whether I make 50 bucks an hour or 250 bucks an hour or $1,000 an hour. There's only so much to my earning potential. And that's what drives me to real estate investing because there's no ceiling on your success. So knowing that, like I said, I'm not one of these guys who hates my job and has to quit, but I do have a plan. You know, The first step is financial freedom. And what that means to me and a lot of other people out there is your passive income. And I say passive kind of loosely, kind of in air quotes, because there's nothing truly, truly passive, but let's call it your real estate passive income is enough to cover your living expenses. In other words, you could live the lifestyle you're living today. That means, you know, mortgage, vehicles, insurance, eating out, traveling, trips, whatever. Whatever your lifestyle is today, your passive income will cover that. That's financial freedom. In other words, you could, in theory, retire today if you had financial freedom. So that's the first step. And that's where I've got to be before I feel comfortable leaving. Probably close to that spot now, but there's all kinds of different ways. You've heard this term possibly called FIRE. Financial independence, retire early. And there's all kinds of ways to do it. Lean fire, fat fire. Lean fire means, yeah, you could 
you know, be financially independent today. If you wanted to live off rice and beans and live in a van by the river, by all means, yeah, you could retire today. Many of us probably could. Fat fire might be like, well, yeah, I want to retire, but I also want to have, you know, $10,000 extra a month to, you know, support my family or give back to charity or whatever. So I'm kind of more probably mentally on that side of fat fire. You know, I want to be very, very conservative and I want to have a comfortable, you know, financial independence level before making the move. And Brian, this is something I've really come to realize too, that, you know, W2 is an asset if you make it in the sense of it helps me currently qualify for future loans for real estate. So if I didn't have that, the bank would look at me and say, okay, Jake, if you make whatever you make from your real estate, it's not a ton, but oh, you've got your W2. Oh, let's lean on that. That'll help you qualify for loans. So right now it's an asset for me until a point where it's probably not going to be worth my time going in every day. I hope that's sooner than later, right? You know, got the pedal to the metal and trying to make the most of it. Yeah, no, that's awesome the way that you laid that out. And you don't hear too many people talking about W-2 as an asset, but yeah, it's hard to get loans when you're self-employed, right? Believe me, it is. And that's where tools like seller financing are great to learn. I firmly believe that everyone should learn, at least have an understanding of seller financing. Mm -hmm. Because imagine if you could buy your primary residence with no money down and none of your own credit. You know, yeah. And, you know, I schedule a lot of them with principal only payments, so no interest. And that's a beautiful thing when you're able to do that. So, is it worth looking at investing some time and energy and at least having an understanding of what this can do for you? If you're not going to become a real estate investor, you know, you have to have somewhere to live. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's a great way to, to acquire property and ultimately acquire wealth. So I'm going to ask you about, you know, other than your show, obviously, maybe give us, you know, I don't know if you're, I assume you read books. I'm looking at them, a bunch of them on your bookshelf there, but give me maybe a handful of books that really kind of changed your mindset or really moved the needle in your life. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but you know, do you have a top one or two or top five? Yeah, definitely. It's funny. I was just making this reading list yesterday. And a lot of these books are books I've read, but I kind of broke it down by category. Okay. If I wanted to, you know, have some books around mindset, vision, framework, or different category B negotiation or commercial real estate or syndication or marketing. So I'll just kind of look at this recent list I was building. Some mindset books I think are really powerful. Every real estate investor in the world is going to tell you rich dad, poor dad. And if your audience members are not real estate kind of focused, that might be a new reference to them. But that is a book by Robert Kiyosaki. It's the number one personal finance book ever sold. It's a little purple book. You can get it for like eight bucks on Amazon. That will change the way you think about how you earn income. So that's foundation number one. Another book I like around mindset is Vivid Vision by... Cameron Harold. This talks about how to build a vision for your life, a three-year vision, and you know how to put that vision into action and uh, make it happen over the course of three years. I think that's a really cool, valuable book for trying to build mindset. I've really been into reading a lot about negotiation recently. No matter what you do in life, everything you do is a negotiation. Brian, you and I have probably had some negotiations on this podcast, just scheduling, for example, right? So you have to negotiate with people. You don't have to be in sales to think you need negotiation skills. So there's a lot of great books on negotiation out there right now. There's two books by Oren Claff called Pitch Anything and Flip the Script. I'm currently listening to a book called Getting to Yes, there's two authors on that one. I don't know who they are. I should know. I'm currently listening to it. Mm-hmm. Never Split the Difference by Chris Boss is an FBI hostage negotiator. That's a cool book. Man, I could go on and on. 
there's the Rich Dad series. It's you know real estate books. There's Ken McElroy's book. There's Tom Wilwright that's tax. There's Garrett Sutton that's asset protection. So there's just so many great books. I mean, man, books are like, you can go to Amazon, order a whole bunch of books. They'll be at your door in two days. And every book is going to be 10 to $15. There is not a bad 10 to $15 investment you can make on a book ever. Like just buy the book. <laughs> like right. just buy the book and spend that time to read. It's interesting as you were like the Kiyosaki stuff is amazing. Whether you're going to be a real estate investor or not, you got to read that book. You have to read Rich Dad Poor Dad. That was what got me started and got the bug in, in real estate. It's like, oop, I've been doing it wrong for the longest time. Why didn't somebody <laughs> hand me this book when you know when I got to college? Like that should be in. They should give you to that in school. Nobody teaches you that stuff, and that's what he talks about too. It's like you don't learn this in school. They don't teach you this in school. I read the tax book too. And I told my wife, I'm like, I just read the coolest tax book ever. She's like, I don't- Which is an oxymoron, right? It's like- It is because it's a boring topic. And she's like, I don't want to know anything about it. You might as well be you know, speaking. Don't show me spreadsheets. Don't talk about taxes. That's my wife's mantra, right? And, and so be it. But no, appreciate the share. Jacob, this has been a tremendous, tremendous interview. I appreciate the knowledge that you shared. And I look forward to when you exit your W-2. Again, not because you hate it, just because you got other things you want to do, right? You got dreams and you got goals. And I want to give you the opportunity to maybe, if you could speak to a brand new aspiring real estate investor, so you're going back a bit here, you started a long time ago, what advice would you give him or her to help them? Just realize that anything you can dream in this life, you can do. I think that's a Walt Disney phrase. If you can dream it, you can do it. I'll lead with another really good quote that I've always liked by Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. So realize anything you want in this life, you can have. Be intentional, set some goals, and just take action. I think if you couple intentionality with action, you'll get to wherever you want to be. You won't always know everything. So just start now, take action. And I think that's what I would tell myself. Whether I'd listen or not, I don't know, but <laughs> that's what I would say. Well, I think you've been listening for sure. And that's a great way to end the show. Jacob, thanks for your time. I appreciate you sharing a little bit about your business and your life here with us today. And thanks. And listen, everyone, have an excellent, excellent day. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. Go to w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W2 prison break. Here's to you busting out.